and welcome to the CityWire Ratings Radar podcast, the place where we discuss all things related to CityWire's fund manager ratings. If you haven't tuned in before or haven't listened to it, don't worry, this is brand new, as is our Ratings Radar newsletter, which brings you all the latest insights and analysis of the ratings every month. And you can subscribe to the newsletter now at ratingsradar at citywire.co.uk. I'll give you that again at the end of the show if you don't have a pen handy right now. So on with the podcast. I'm joined today, obviously virtually, uh, not in the same room, by three distinguished colleagues, and I'll introduce them in alphabetical order. First, Angus Foote. Welcome, Angus. Angus is our international head who spends much of his time finding out what fund selectors across Europe are saying and doing. Uh, and also joining us are two people whose days are spent crunching our fund manager performance numbers to see what trends are emerging. First, Nisha Long, our Head of Cross-Border Investment Research. And last but not least, Frank Talbot, CityWire's Head of Investment Research. So on with the show. Uh, Nisha, I'm going to start with you today uh, because you've been looking at US equities fund managers and how they've performed in what is probably the hardest market to shine above the major indexes. Yes, Richard, um, the real test for active managers really does come now, and especially in US equities. Now, um, all gains made last year after a phenomenal bull run have now been erased in just three months by this health crisis. Now, as countries, as you all know, go into lockdown and companies have scaled back productivity, this is really hitting investors' returns. Now, um, just to put this in a bit of context, in February, just 13 managers were able to deliver a positive return in the US large cap equity sector globally. That's just 13 out of 1,600 managers we track in the sector. And that's, and that's, taking, into, sorry, that's yeah. taking into account maybe a week or so of the effect of... Yes, absolutely. Um, now, we have some preliminary numbers for March, and they looks like there's no managers who have delivered a positive return during that time. Um, but it's not all doom and gloom. As you can imagine, some managers have protected some capital on the downside and have lost a lot less than the general market, as we've seen, which is a small feat for these um, active managers. Now, the ones I'm seeing that are doing well are those with a high active share or the a high percentage of off-benchmark positions compared to for example, the S&P 500. So they are adding value um, to these. Um, I mean, last month um, in the ratings radar roundup, I did highlight one manager, Alexander farman Mayen, who has an impressive 82 months track record of having a citywide rating and is consistently rated. Now, what he's done is he is known to limit losses in a downturn, and he has proven to do that in February and March. Um, just to put this into context, in February, the S&P was down 8.2%, but his fund was down 5.5%. And in March, the S&P index was down 12%, but he was able to have a 4% a gain against that index. Well, that, that's remarkable. What, what sort of, what's his style? Is he going for big tech stocks? Is it uh, some of which have done fairly well? Yeah, it's um, actual financial um, services he has in there, IT as well, so some tech stocks which are doing well. Um, he does have a very concentrated portfolio of just 22 stocks, which has really helped him during this downturn. So it's mostly off-bench, I think it was like 98% active share position. So off-benchmark positions are definitely working. So instead of having all the likes of the fangs, for example, he does have Alphabet in his, um, so Google, um, but it hasn't 
um, fallen as much as other stocks in his in the wider S&P 500. So in this case, I think active share is really working, a high active share for these US equity managers. Angus, have you got any yeah, view think, on that? I think the point about off benchmark bets is really interesting because that really strongly suggests that, that, that this is an area where active managers can can make gains again. Uh, we did a discussion with some private bank CIOs a week or two ago, and they were suggesting that this was the time when they expected to see the fight back of the active manager. And you're talking about the US market where you know, passives have been making inroads into that space for years and years and years, and active managers have been under great pressure, as you've said, Nisha. Uh, and it just seems to me that if it is the case that those with the off benchmark bets are the ones that are flourishing, or, or, or at least, um, at least resisting the worst of the losses, then, then that's a very strong case for selecting active managers. Okay. I mean, Frank, do you think, you know, this is the first really, really, really big drawdown since passive became into fashion? Uh, I mean, talk- uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, obviously the technology we had to, to track indices and create products around them was available in 2008, but this is the first real acid test for them. And coming back to US equity market, the drawdowns, although we had pretty pretty large drawdowns this time, 35% off on the S&P 500, the S&P is now back down to about 18% off its high. So it's, it's certainly not the credit crisis where drawdowns were 55%. Um, I'm surprised that, that so few active managers delivered any positive value uh, in the US. But I think part of that is because of the fact that you know, this, this crisis is, if anything, it's tightened the grip that tech companies have on global commerce. And um, active managers in the US have been underweight technology. That's part of the reason that our performance rates have been so low for at least the last five years. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean you, you have this strange situation where someone like Apple, now obviously they've been hurt, but uh, in a way, you know, they've been out of favor for years on a 10, 12 PE multiple, despite being such a hugely successful firm. And there seems to be a lack of faith in them by, by some active fund managers. Yeah, I think a lack of faith. I think, um, I think the last bull market that finally has come to an end, I mean, let's not relish that, but has come to an end and um, was, was one that people were calling time on for, you know, at least the last five years. And so they were reducing their allocations to technology the area that had been so successful at the start of the bull market, but then it continued to sort of defy belief and go up and go up and go up. And then we get hit with the the correction and you'd expect the correction in normal situation to be in tech over inflated valuations and so on and so forth. But because of the health crisis, if anything, it's, you know, like I said, we're, we're, we're more in, in touch now with our technological selves. Angus is, I know that for sure. <laughs> well, look at this. We're doing this on zoom, which is, which is, Go on a PE of something like 1800, I believe. But just, just before we leave the US, you know, I'd like to go back to the ETF stroke passive experience. Uh, you know, sold to lots and lots of investors, not only individuals, but institutions as being cheaper, more efficient. Uh, and yet, obviously, these indexes sold off by about 35%, as you said. Uh, they seem technically to have performed well, that the asset values haven't deviated too much. But it's a wake-up call for a lot of people who've gone passive, isn't it? 
I think if, if, if what I understood from Nisha said that actually so few managers outperformed in March, then actually, if anything, only the index was better. And that's really bad news for active managers. Am I right in thinking that, Nisha? Um, one point, no, the um, so active managers, so it's the round, well, for in February, it's not um, against the index. They haven't had a, they've had negative returns, not against the index. Those numbers are still um, feeding through, so which we will find out in the next um, ratings radar so that should be crunched within the week so all managers have a negative return but the and the percentage over the benchmark is that number i don't know as yet um, but i i am guessing that it will be a lot higher than it was in february is um is downside protection the new alpha it could be but that's how managers are assessed as well if they can limit the losses obviously you'd want a positive return in any case but the amount they're limiting losses and have that downside protection i think that's where active management is really comes to the fore um, with any investors portfolio if they can limit the amount that is lost compared to their market they're doing well certainly investors are going to look at maximum drawdown now a lot more than they have been for 10 years because it's been a, a moot point nothing's really gone on so uh, it'll pivot that way don't forget, Angus, alpha is both positive and negative. So, True. Um... True. Okay, let, let's move on from, from the US and uh, let's have a, have a look at high yield. Uh, and this is interesting because, uh, and it is related to equity, equities, uh, so a lot of equities are going to stop paying their dividends. A lot of them have done so already. Big companies are coming under either moral pressure not to reward shareholders at this time or simply, you know, uh, keeping their piggy bank uh, as full as possible. So if you can't get income from income funds, from dividend stocks, where are you going to look? Is it high, high yield bonds? Uh, now, they've had a pretty rough time, but uh, a lot of the, you know, in the States and elsewhere, uh, monetary authorities are effectively underwriting some of these high yield markets. Is this going to be a performer as people search for income? So um, just if I can answer that, Richard. Um, so on the back of this crisis, we will be seeing, like we have in the crisis, downgrades um, um, of some of these companies, you know, which have fallen back. And Fitch already, the ratings agency, has already you know, downgraded a lot of companies um, into high yield from investment grade. Now, uh, what this means is that the investment grade funds, as you know, will you know, need to get rid of these high yield stocks from their well, bonds from their portfolios, which will mean that, you know, high yield managers can scoop up, you know, what is left. Now, um, in a recent research that I did on the US bond market, um, high yield does falter at every crisis point. So taking my research back to the global crisis, also looking at 2011, 2015 and 2018, where we had various small crisis points, high yield did falter compared to the rest of the markets. Down, for example, in um, 2008, um, down 26%. Um, but what is interesting is that these do rebound really well. So in subsequent years, they have almost doubled the returns, you know, made back all the losses. So in 2009, the index, the high yield US index was up 58%. So you can just see, you know, the rebound is good. You know, high yield managers, yes, they suffer a lot during a crisis point. And I see this as no different. They are, you know, in subsequent, say 12, 18 months time, there should be some kind of rebound with these managers, especially in hoovering up these fallen angels, as we call them, those ones which have been downgraded from investment grade. 
and they will start wanting to these fallen angel companies trying to get back their balance sheets getting back their reputation trying to get back to that investment grade status in the process giving investors phenomenal returns in some cases if you if the active manager chooses the right companies to go with i guess any appetite growing amongst your uh, chief investment officers for for such offerings yeah well it, it's interesting following up on what nisha was saying the, the fallen angels part of it i think is very significant because there is a sense from the cios that um what happened was the search for yield uh, led to to almost it led people to almost disregard credit quality in some some respects or or overlook it um it, it perhaps is a better way of saying it so uh, there's firstly there's a sense that all of that is now coming home to roost so the people that did pile into a high yield without any discernible um filter on that are going to suffer but it also suggests to me i'd be interested to know what you think about this niche but it does suggest to me that actually picking the high yield managers who are likely to emerge from this more strongly and and and, and inevitably there will be a few of them picking those right now or or in a month or two months time it will be kind of crucial for driving the next cycle of returns no absolutely i totally agree with that angus i think now is probably the time to get into these high yield managers, especially if they have had a long term successful track record, especially if you can look at the citywide ratings for this. So managers that I have um, highlighted in the past, they are protecting the capital. But what they are also doing is giving the returns in subsequent years. So they will have fallen during this crisis and they have in past crisis. But what they're actually doing in subsequent years, they have produced great results and what i will do the next uh, ratings radar um i will be highlighting some of these managers who have been able to continue to perform in this environment but in the past have also been able to you know reap the rewards after the crisis i think i think that'd be really interesting and, and going back to what frank was saying earlier about the tech tech stocks in the states you know something similar um seems likely in high yield and again coming from the chief investment officers they were talking about uh their their um fear perhaps too strong a word but certainly they were very very wary of anything that was linked to the u.s consumer whether that's on the corporate bond side or, or on the equity side so you know the u.s consumer is something that a lot of people are very fearful about going forwards and obviously that then feeds through directly into into your stock picking on the in the high yield space no i mean the whole space is obviously interesting you know coming back to the argument that they're sort of coming home to roost we've seen some of the most successful bond funds uh, in the past sort of five years being those unconstrained fixed income sector that nisha spends a lot of time looking at you know pimco income is the poster child for that best-selling fund in the world two years in a row, strategies over $230 billion. And now in, in a month, the strategy size has fallen to about $170 billion. And, um, and a large chunk of that is outflows, $28 billion globally. So investors have pulled significant quantities of cash from fixed income. Now, we don't know if that's because of performance. The fund didn't perform particularly well. I think it's down about 8% um, in the month of March, uh, peak to trough. And um, we don't know if it's because of the fact that it's easier to liquidate the fixed income positions than it is equity. Typically, globally around the world, the, the flows have looked like double the amount of outflow from equity than they have been from fixed income. Now, part of that might be that the equity markets fell off uh, so sharply, quickest bear market in history, it's just 16 trading days, that no one wanted to crystallize 
a 25% loss in equity. Instead, let's sell what we can sell and we can sell easily. Let's sell our fixed income positions um, in order to potentially reinvest into equity markets. Yeah, or, I mean, I mean, what we, you know, people were selling everything, weren't they? They weren't, didn't even want to go into treasury bonds at one point because they just wanted cash and, you know, their, their clients, I guess, just said, you know, make cash available because we don't know whether we're going to be able to refinance uh, or, you know, pay our next endowments uh, if if we're in equities or, or, or bonds. So it was cash for a while at the height of the panic. Are people yeah. going to come back from that, do you think? I think I think they're not going to come back straight away. I think, um, like I said, we're, we're we're just less than twenty percent down the S and P five hundred, and the FTSE Euro first is, is again it's the same kind of thing. Uh, if if we are looking at the deepest recession uh, of anyone's lifetime, then I would wager that there's there's more pain to come. You know, I don't want to be gloomy, but I think uh, being a bit more defensive at the moment couldn't be the worst worst idea. We've had significant rally in the past sort of ten trading days. Um, okay. Are people going to come back for it? It's very interesting. I can't. I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah, right. I think I agree with you, Frank, on that as well, because uh, a lot of people have just been holding cash. But uh, one thing I just want to come back to the PIMCO point um, Frank was making. So this fund that he mentioned, the income fund, um, it has lost a lot of money. This, in looking at unconstrained bonds for quite a long time, this fund was the go-to place for times of crisis, but to see something like 15 billion of assets coming out of this fund in March alone, you know, that is a big, you know, point to make that this fund is now losing money. Now, um, it, it was a fund to go to in the times of the market downturn. How, however, as we all know, the playbooks have completely changed. We, we're not sure what's going on at the moment, but I just want to highlight one manager who has kind of defied this trend so far. Um, Richard Hodges, or better known as Dickie Hodges um, to most, um, he is known for managing the Nomura Asset Management um, Global Dynamic Bond Fund. Now, his fund has actually done the opposite. He only lost 16 million in March, and over Q1 he's taken in money, so around $250 million. So if you consider the outflows of 16 million in March, it's quite small when you consider his fund is over a billion Okay. So what's he, what's he doing right? What's persuading um, investors to stick in there? Yeah, so it's an unconstrained uh, bond fund. Um, at the moment, what he has done, he's putting his money to work. So in February, his position in investment grade was 1.7%. Now he's taken that to 17% between February and March to capitalize on this huge chain in, change in the risk profile we're getting. So he's actually putting his money to work. So he sees some you know, value in the investment grade market. So this is something that I am looking into. Um, that I've read in the past that there is more money going into the investment grade, like flows, but as we say, in a couple of weeks time, we'll start seeing those numbers come through to see if it is, you know, people are going back into these bonds. Um, but it is on the back of, as I see it, looking to the future, this is where I think he is going right. It's not short termism is looking at where the bond market will be in 12 to 18 months time, where there should be a recovery in place. We've seen China reopen, for example. So there's activity that hopefully, well, soon I hope in Europe as well and in the States everywhere that you know there will be recovery in asset prices and we will be seeing that. And I think the managers who are looking at that now and trying to position for those recovery rates, hopefully will you know, reap the rewards. But, yeah, this, and this is, sorry, sorry, I just go. 
Yeah, well, I was going to say, this is why we need professional fund selectors, right? I mean, this is where these people earn their money because, um, you know, th these, are, these are our readers. These are the people we hope are listening to us right now. And, and, and this is the chance really for them to, to justify um, th their position because you talk about unconstrained bond funds. Well, unconstrained is great if the manager is going to the right places, the right sectors. But if they're not, then it's no better than anything else. And exactly the same when you go back to your point earlier, Nisha, about US equity managers, off benchmark bets. Off benchmark bets are great if they're the right bets. They're not if they're not. So it's very much about choosing the right people to put your faith in, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think, um, I think Frank will probably agree with this. We've been looking at, for example, rating managers for a very long time. Consistency is key. So if managers have kept their rating, throughout the period of crisis and afterwards as well, you know, managing your money, not losing as much as the market, for example. Yes, they might have negative returns for some periods, but if they're back into positive territory, you know, all the better. So I think it's looking at the long-term managers who have in the past defied the market, you know, crisis points and have come out of it. They've made the right decisions, but the ones even, even if they haven't made the right decisions, but if they've been able to rectify it and go forward and admit that they've done you know, there's a position that went horrendously wrong in their portfolio. Those are the managers, I think, who are going to stay ahead of the markets, but still be actively managing somebody's portfolio and not just dying off. Okay. I think one of the things on that in terms of, you know, just our performance rates and stuff, the types of people who, who are doing well at the moment are those, you know, heavy in tech growth, growth names like Terry Smith. And also individuals, you know, maybe in the absolute return alternative uses space, liquid alternatives who have been doggedly defensive at, at the detriment of returns. Those are the people who are flat, maybe even positive in, in March. And if you were backing them, you had to take quite a lot of pain. Uh, I think of uh, Ruffer, it's a group in the UK, famously pioneered absolute return investing, has had really lacklustre run and uh, came out, was really apologetic about sort of six months ago about returns and how bad they'd been, felt they'd let investors down. But actually, both of their funds were at the top of the absolute return pay group in the UK. So, yeah, the, um, you know, there's, 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 there's a bit of a sea change going on. If you want protection, it hasn't necessarily been the individuals who did really well into the run-up. I think that set of individuals who did really well in the run-up, changed their positions at the right time, and then will, will have done well in the correction then and, and the bear market, they will be quite few and far between because of what's happened. And um, I think uh, when we get the numbers next week, it'll be interesting to kind of pull through that and see who has weathered it. But I guess that's what you have people in your portfolio for, right, Frank? I mean, you know, if you've got a, if you've got a diversified portfolio of strategies uh, as, as, you know, fund selectors and, and, um, and uh, people in similar roles will have, then uh, the, the right mix would be some of those people that were defensive in the run-up and, and, you know, some alpha generators as well. So it, it, it's very much about how you've diversified and how you've structured that portfolio, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But you're still, you're still on the end of a, of a quite significant loss. And asset management as a whole actively is uh, the companies are about 20% lighter than they were few weeks ago um, so it's it's hit people hard even if you did have a fully diversified suite of products I'm thinking about the groups as well as the investors you know I think all the signs going into this year were fundamentals look fine the Fed is is propping up markets you know intervened with its not quantitative easing in the repo market at the back end of last year 
And, and it, you know, no, no one saw this coming. Everyone said it have to be a left field event in order to not mark itself course. And, and you know, boy, was it left field. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It was left field. I mean, not, not if you're Bill Gates, who famously saw this coming and told everyone to prepare. But yeah, it was, it was absolutely what, what we weren't expecting. Look, I think it's been a terrific discussion so far. Uh, and we're coming to the end of our time. Before we go, Nisha, just pick out one manager uh, from the ratings who, who, who's made it to the top for the first time. And, and we'll wrap up with that. Um, the numbers haven't come through yet, so I can't really say um, who's coming to the top. But as I mentioned uh, earlier, I think one to watch at the moment will be because unconstrained fixed income is Richard Hodges. Um, he's double A rated at the moment, but we'll see in the new crunch next week, you know, where he fares. But just looking at his numbers, he will still be up there. Excellent. I think also something, something to watch out for before we go. I know you didn't ask me, Richard, but no. just, just felt a bit left out. I think something... It, a theme for the for the future is going to be value. We've seen some of the money, particularly in the States, it's trickling back in. They've not been buying the growth funds, which have outperformed. They've been going into value, which has been so underperformed so significantly for the past five years. And value includes a lot of those dividend paying companies. So I think a lot of the smart money seems to be going back in there. Again, it would have been hard to outperform as a value name uh, in the last three years, but we'll see what managers come through rated or otherwise excellent well look when these march figures come out uh, for our city wire fund manager ratings and they're coming out very soon they are probably going to be the most extraordinary figures that we've we've ever seen and, and these ratings have been going for almost 20 years now uh, so i'm going to wrap up there now uh, nisha angus and frank thank you so much for taking part uh, as i said please do subscribe to our Ratings Radar newsletter, and it's dead easy to send us an email at ratingsradar at citywire.co.uk. And we'll be back very soon with the next edition of this podcast. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to everyone who's taken part, and speak soon. <laughs>